morning, Jeff, and welcome to the Low Carb Paleo Show. Hey, good morning, Alan. My pleasure to be here. Good morning, Mark. How is everyone doing? Fine, thank you. Can't complain at all. Uh, well, you know, no one listens anyway, so let's just uh, have fun today, shall we? Right. We'll try that. Um, so, Jeff, you and I met at the 2018 Paleo Effects event in Austin, and... Um, I was somewhat aware of uh, the healing abilities of mushrooms, but I never came across a product like yours in a powder form. So um, we invited you and here you are. Um, just a brief uh, presentation. You are the president of Namex, cultivating a line of medicinal mushrooms. And we'll talk some more about it um, a little later. Uh, first of all, um, can you tell us your background and how you came to this kind of business? Well, yeah, actually, I was born and raised in the Pacific Northwest of uh, the United States, uh, in Washington, actually. And we are an evergreen area. Uh, we get lots of rain. We have lots of forests and uh, those forests are full of mushrooms. In fact, mushrooms are everywhere in Washington state. So, so I, I grew up in that uh, environment and, and along the way I was able to go out mushroom hunting with, uh, with some of the uh, adults, uh, friends, parents, and my parents weren't mushroom hunters or anything like that, but I, I really enjoyed being outdoors. I got into mushroom hunting and then, and then in, um, when I went off to university, um, my field of study was anthropology, but at the same time, I still had this uh, interest in mushrooms. So I also took some mycology courses. And, and uh, in, in my anthropological studies, I, I actually dove very deeply into the use of mushrooms worldwide, uh, not only uh, for food, but also in shamanic practices for healing and found that mushrooms were very instrumental in, in the human development. So... So uh, um, after university, of course, there are not many jobs in anthropology. And I ended up in 1973 going to work on a commercial mushroom farm. And I, I stayed on that farm for the next 10 years. And, um, and how did you make that your profession? You, you, you know, growing your own mushroom and uh, starting your own company? Well, actually, the... Uh, and I spent 10 years there and, and that was almost like an apprenticeship, Alan. It was, uh, it was a very big farm. It uh, was, uh, had 200 people working there and we grew 2 million pounds of mushrooms a year on that farm. Uh, and, and growing mushrooms are really interesting. And, and, you know, I don't know whether you've ever seen the mushroom growing operations in France. But, you know, that's where mushroom growing of this particular species, which is the button mushroom that we find in the supermarkets, that's yeah. where it all began. Began. It's called the uh, Champignon de Paris. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so <clears throat> on this particular farm, uh, in order to grow all those mushrooms, every week we were putting in four new crops of mushrooms and throwing out four crops. We went on a 90-day cycle. And, and with the number of, of houses that we were growing these in and, and, and a mushroom growing house these days is like a big warehouse and they put in uh, shelves or trays or something like this and uh, so over the course of my career I mean every year because we were we were on this cropping cycle I was seeing basically 200 crops 
of mushrooms every year um, for 10 years. So I, I basically saw 2,000 individual crops of mushrooms. And, and when you compare that to what a farmer might see in a lifetime, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, maybe 50 crops that he's planting in a lifetime, I was seeing 2,000 crops in that 10-year um, time period. And, and, and I loved it. I loved every minute of it. I, I, I was just um, so enchanted by it all. And I watched, I, I literally lived with mushrooms. I watched them grow from the very beginning where the just started out that when we planted the, the mushroom seed, which we call spawn and had, watched it grow out. Then we, I watched the mushrooms form and, and I watched uh, four different flushes that were harvested off of each crop it was it was really something that resonated very deeply with me and and um i i enjoyed every minute of it and so that was really where i got my my start and so in a sense i'm a commercial mushroom grower by profession Mm -hmm. okay so in other words you're a mushroom geek (laughs) <laughs> I am indeed, yeah, yeah. And, so, and <laughs> so without being too complicated, can you explain the how one grows mushroom in a controlled environment? Sure, sure. You know, the thing about mushrooms is, is they don't have seeds. Mushrooms produce spores. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, but... Um, and let me just uh, go through the life cycle of that. So, so let's just say there's a, a spore out there in nature, and that spore will germinate into a very fine thread, like uh, uh, um, uh, that we would call a hyphae. And, and multiple spores will germinate. Those hyphae that they germinate into will uh, come together and will form a network. And that network is called mycelium. And that's normally what we don't see uh, because in nature it's out there in the ground or it might be in a piece of wood. So we don't really see the mycelium, but that's the actual organism. That's the body of this. And when conditions are right, that mycelial body will put up a mushroom, which is what we would call a fruiting body. So you have spore, you have mycelium, you have mushroom. These are three what we might call plant parts of this particular organism. So, so just like any, any plant out there, you might have a, a root system, a stalk, leaves, the fruit, the flowers, all of which we would call a plant part in the, in the uh, supplement industry, you know, in terms of herbs and things like that. So for the mushroom, you've got these three plant parts. Now, when I grow to, go to grow mushrooms, I don't plant the spores. No, what we do is that we have got that mycelium that we maintain in a culture bank, and we will grow that mycelium out on a carrier material. And that could be grain, it could be wood, sawdust, something like that. We'll grow it out, and then we will take that myceliated grain or that fully grown mycelium on sawdust, and we will break it up and we will spread it into whatever it is that we're going to grow the mushroom in because the actual medium for example with the agaricus mushroom is a compost a lot of other mushrooms grow on wood 
So that's where we'd use the sawdust with the mycelium on it, but that's the actual, what we call spawn or the seed to grow mushrooms. That mycelium then will grow out through the complete compost or the piece of wood. And once it's mature in that piece of wood or in the compost, then we will change the conditions to what would be what would happen in nature, which is normally temperature drops, uh, rains come, uh, very much like the fall conditions here in the Northwest, and that will trigger the formation of the mushrooms. So, so essentially, we are taking a piece of live mycelium, growing it out, using that as our seed, and that colonizes whatever we're growing it in, and then ultimately we'll get mushrooms to form, which then in terms of growing mushrooms, we will normally get flushes every maybe 10 days, for example, with agaricus, four flushes. It's utilized all of its nutrients at that point, and then that crop is over. In the case of this farm that I worked on, every single crop grew 20,000 pounds of fresh mushrooms. Mm, I see. Well, I, I, I'm not a mushroom expert by all means, and I've um, only maybe once or twice in my life gone mushroom hunting with my uh, family, mostly my uncle. But one, of the, one thing that always uh, surprised me was that, at least in France, and I suppose same other places, but mushroom pop out only after it rains. Why is that? Well, it, it, you got to remember that a, a mushroom is a fungal organism. Fungal organisms need moisture to thrive. So that's why they are usually embedded in something. That's why they're under the ground. That's why they're um, in wood. And again, that part of this organism is that mycelium. It has to be in a moist environment for it to survive and grow. If it dries out, whatever it's growing in, the mycelium itself will dry out and ultimately die. Mm -hmm. So that's where it's really, and, and what happens is, is think about it this way, is that mycelium during the summer, it's warm and it's out there in the ground and it's spreading and it moves out and it consumes nutrients. It builds up a storage of nutrients and then when the temperature changes in the fall and rains come, which in a sense, give it a lot more energy in the sense of it needs more moisture to produce this mushroom. Remember, a mushroom is 90% water, like mm -hmm. most vegetables, uh, just like we would water our, our vegetables in a garden or something. Well, mushrooms need that water too. So what happens is in the fall, the temperature falls, the rains come and that triggers this mycelium into, into putting up that mushroom. A, a, a good mushroom season will have a, a very good amount of rain early on in the fall. That will trigger everything and get the whole cycle going. Uh, um, so that's really the reason why we'll see mushrooms in the fall and, and why uh, the rains are so important for that. Without those rains, a poor mushroom season would be a season where it's dry, we don't have a lot of rains, and people would be crying their eyes out that there's no mushrooms coming up out there in the woods where they normally go out hunting them. Um, 
Speaking of mushroom, there's another type of mushroom that French uh, love to eat is uh, truffles. Can you explain how truffle exists? And it is a sort of mushroom, isn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, truffles are really, really interesting. It's what we would call a, a uh, sclerotia. Uh, and, and these sclerotia are a, basically they grow underground and they are a, a um, hardened mass of this mycelium. And, and so, so we, have, we have a number of fungi that, that will produce the truffle instead of actually producing uh, a mushroom, which is the above ground, uh, what we're used to seeing and what we are used to considering as a mushroom. The truffle actually grows underground. It grows, the interesting part about it is this particular uh, fungus, it uh, forms a relationship with certain trees. Yes. And so it's, it's around the roots of these trees. And then again, in the fall, in the season, these truffles will form. You know, Alan, I, I actually uh, was in France in 1979. I was there for a mushroom conference. Mm. We were able to go out into the area down in Perigord where mm. the truffles, uh, one of the famous areas for truffles, Yes. And we actually were able to go out into uh, where they were actually growing in that area and have a local person uh, find them for us. And, and you know what's so interesting about it is that uh, traditionally what they use to find the truffle is a, is a pig. A and, pig. And this person actually had the pig on a leash. Right. <laughs> and so it was, the pig was, was going along and then when it smelled the truffle underground, it would want to kind of root it out. And so then the, the, the handler would kind of rein it in a little bit and the handler had a, a stick that then it would dig out the truffle and harvest it, put it in the basket and carry on. It was, it was quite a sight to see this very, very large pig walking through these forests looking for the truffles. Now, now what they did, Later on, they discovered that this truffle hunting could be done much easier with a dog. With <laughs> so, dogs, yeah. so now they train dogs to do that. And, and I actually, at the same time, we saw a very small uh, poodle that was out doing the same job. But it's, it's fascinating, really fascinating. And the truffle right. is, is an amazing, uh, very expensive, uh, but it's... And when you eat it, which I found very interesting, was that it's not like you, you chop it up and you, you throw it into a pan like I would with normal mushrooms that I find. No, no, no. It will go with either foie gras, um, you know, a liver pate, and right in the very middle of that pate will be a diamond of truffle yeah. in there. And you just take a little tiny bit with every fork of the pate or sometimes what they might do is just grate a little bit into yeah. something, but- Shavings, shavings on top of- uh, Exactly, yeah. used very sparingly and, and uh, but, but it, it was fascinating and, and it just, it was wonderful to be over there in France in this area and, and uh, see the culture and that's a real big part of the food culture over there. Right, um, I know your specialty is healing mushrooms, but, <clears throat> Do you know if um, 
I'm just asking out of curiosity, do you know if truffles have any kind of healing um, abilities as well? Well, you know what, that's interesting. I haven't really seen any research that would indicate that. But, but what I would say is that all mushrooms have these compounds in their cell walls called beta-glucans that make every mushroom uh, medicinal to some degree. The, the interesting part about the beta-glucan is that it varies from species to species, and that's why certain mushrooms are more medicinal than others. But, but basically, I, I consider all mushrooms medicinal. In fact, I, I look at mushrooms as, as one of those, uh, what I would call food as medicine. I think all mushrooms are in that category, and I think that, that putting mushrooms, in fact, I, I tell people, you know, before you even think about supplementing, put mushrooms into your diet because they're, they're a great food. They have these beta glucans, which is the medicinal part of them. So you can get these medicinal compounds as well as eating a, a really high quality food uh, with a mushroom. So that's the first thing I would always tell people is put mushrooms into your diet. Right. So um, moving into what you do now, since we've talking enough about truffles now. You grow, and these are the, the most well-known, but there's more, uh, and we'll talk some more about it later. Um, you grow shiitake, oyster, and enoki mushrooms, um, and they are all certified organic. What can you tell us about these mushrooms in particular? What makes them so special? Well, you know, I think what you're referring to is, is the fact that when I was actually growing mushrooms at this farm back in the 70s, we had a Japanese scientist there and he was actually uh, growing shiitake, uh, enoki taki, and oyster mushroom there. And the wonderful thing for me about that is, is there I am on an agaricus farm learning how to grow mushrooms, being totally uh, engaged in it. And here it is he's growing these other species. And so for me, that was a wonderful opening to other mushrooms and the realization that, that okay, I can apply my skills to growing those mushrooms as well. And, and you know what, we, we actually grow about 12 different mushroom species. And what's interesting is that, that I have a book that's called uh, Icons of Medicinal Mushrooms. It comes from China it lists 272 medicinal mushrooms. Wow. And, and, and now all that really means is, is somebody along the way has done at least one scientific research paper about that particular mushroom. And in some cases only one for some of those mushrooms. So they list it in the book, but, but really in terms of the premier medicinal mushrooms, there's a tremendous body of research out there and, and so we only sell about 10 or 12 species because other, and, and you know, a lot of them have very similar activities. So I just look at it as what was used traditionally and then where do those traditional, traditionally used mushrooms have a body of scientific evidence behind them that demonstrates they do in fact have uh, medicinal qualities. And so those are the ones that we've actually selected for uh, our, uh, our product line and, and what we, we sell out there. And, and Alan, Alan, you know, I, I left the mushroom farm in 1983. And then in 
1989, I started up my business um, growing mushrooms for medicinal purposes. And, and, you know, part of, part of the, um, while I was at the mushroom farm for 10 years and in the interim period before I started my business, I read so much. I mean, I was just immersed in the mushroom literature and I, I discovered that mushrooms had medicinal qualities to them. And so, you know, when you're, when you're a mushroom grower or you're growing any fresh produce, well, well, you know that, that as a grower, you have to get that fresh product to market immediately, or you have to put it in a cooler and then it goes out, but it's fresh. It needs to be there. So I realized in the eighties that that wasn't what I wanted to do in terms of a business because you end up being, you know, and certainly in terms of mushrooms, I mean, mushrooms don't have a season. They have a season in the wild, but when you're growing mushrooms, they're growing 365 days a year. You are a, a babysitter to these mushroom crops. You have to get them harvested when they're ready. You have to get them in the cooler. You have to get them to market. It's a very demanding business. Whereas with our medicinal mushroom products, they are all dry powders. That means I can, I can <clears throat> produce them and then I can put them on the shelf until somebody's ready to buy them. They have a shelf life, but a very long shelf life. So, so that's a much easier business in the sense of I'm not dealing with, with fresh products. So, so um, in that sense, you know, my, my business started in 1989. And, and you know, here, here's the funny thing. You know, there I am at Paleo FX where I met you. And, and it's really interesting because I just kind of got on to Paleo. And I think it's a, a kind of a wonderful wonderful concept and, and way to, to eat. But back in the early days in, in like 1990, I was going to a natural foods expo, like in Los Angeles. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it is a, one of the premier natural foods trade shows. And this is where all the supplement companies were. And I was walking around the floor there with a, a reishi mushroom in my hand Right. And you've probably seen a reishi mushroom in it, and it's a beautiful mushroom, but it's a, it's it's woody. It's like a piece of wood. Yeah. And, and no company in 1990 had a mushroom product in their line of herbal supplements. Nobody. And so I'm walking around trying to introduce this to people, trying to say, look, do you, are you familiar with medicinal mushrooms? And everybody's like, no. Well, let me tell you about them. Okay. Um, but they just tell me, well, we have no demand for them. Why should we put out a product with these? So, so introducing medicinal mushrooms was something that I had to do right at the beginning with my company, starting in 1989, 1990, when I first formed Namex. Mm -hmm. So, um, Going back to medicinal mushroom, now some of the other mushrooms that you uh, you grow as well and produce is reishi, turkey tail, turkey tail, lion's mane, cordyceps, and shaga. Now I assume, I mean, you know, from the packaging, I assume that each one has a particular benefit. Uh, can you kind of, without going too deep, can you describe uh, first the general benefits of um, taking mushroom as medicine? And secondly, why 
each one is slightly different than the other one and how it helps us? Sure. You know, um, like I was saying before, every mushroom has these beta-glucans and the beta-glucans make up 50% of the cell walls in these mushrooms. And, and scientifically, what they've discovered and a lot of the way that they've used mushrooms traditionally has been as a method of enhancing our immunity. And, and these beta-glucans, the science tells us that what happens is that these beta-glucans, um, and again, I think one of the things that, that is important for people to know is that in general, I don't consider mushrooms to be super specific. I consider th their action to be a little more nonspecific, just like when, when I talk about the fact that they are going to enhance our immunity. What happens is that we consume the mushrooms or the mushroom supplements, they will come down and these beta-glucans will react with certain sites we have in our, our intestines and they will hit these, uh, these receptor sites there and that will stimulate the production of immune cells, um, whether it be macrophages or, or natural killer cells, they will, they will basically stimulate the production of these. But they, the, the mushrooms themselves and these beta-glucans and their activity will kind of sit in the background. They're, they're there, and, and what they, the way they describe that is they say modulation. So they are going to help to modulate our immune system. And, and in a sense, if we need, need them, then these immune cells will be there to sort of help us to, to um, fight off any sort of, um, let's just say we're tired or, or we, we feel like we're run down or we're fatigued. That's one of the major sort of non-specific activities of mushrooms. And, and the premier mushroom for, for this, I would say, is reishi mushroom. Reishi mushroom is also something that people take uh, with regularity as they age. Because, you know, as we age, generally our immune system tends to degrade a little bit. It's not quite as strong as when we're younger. So that's something that, that um, is used a lot um, in China as what would be called a longevity herb. So reishi is a primary, primary longevity herb working with us immunologically. Other mushrooms that would be similar in activity would be turkey tail. Turkey tail is, is something that they've actually uh, developed into drugs in China and Japan. Uh, it's a, a got high immunological activity. And what's interesting for me is that one of the, the tests that we do for our products, and, and I consider this really important, is we test we test for the beta glucans. Mm -hmm. So so we've been we've been doing this for about three years now. Every single lot that we produce, we will test those for the beta glucans. And what we found over this period of time was that it was the two mushrooms that had the highest levels of beta glucans were were reishi and turkey tail, okay. which was really interesting for us. And and and. Um, other mushrooms and their activities, we've got uh, cordyceps, which, which um, has been used traditionally for what's considered uh, neurasthenia. Uh, people who are, are, have a, a long-term illness, they're uh, getting better, but they're still weak. Uh, they're fatigued. They prescribe uh, cordyceps. Cordyceps is really interesting. It's called caterpillar fungus. 
So traditionally, what they used was this, and and these caterpillar fungi, they are harvested in the foothills of Tibet. They're harvested up at like uh, 10, 12,000 feet. And what happens is this caterpillar uh, hibernates over winter. And while it's hibernating, it doesn't know this, but spores of this fungus have infected it. And while it's hibernating, they are growing and they are invading this caterpillar. And by the time it's supposed to wake up, it's nothing but a shell. (laughs) And at that point in the summer, it will, this shell of a former caterpillar will produce this small little blade-like fungus. It doesn't look like a mushroom at all. And what they call this is they call this um, uh, winter worm summer grass. That's the Chinese name for it. Mm. And they're they're literally on their hands and knees combing the pastures for these little cordyceps. And again, it's like a blade of grass. So, So they may be out there and maybe in a day they might only find a half a dozen of these things. Right. But but that's so, traditionally what was used for cordyceps. Right. So would you describe the mushrooms as adaptogens, or am I using the wrong term for that? Oh no, I, th- I think that's uh, that's uh, uh, definitely a good term for them. I think they're one of I would call them one of the premier adaptogens. You know, and, and the other thing about mushrooms that I I think is just so important is that they're a food. You know, mm-hmm. mushrooms are a food. So basically, they are truly food as medicine. And, and, you know, I think everything we eat, we should think about it in terms of nourishing us. And, and that's part of this concept to me is, is our food should not only provide nourishment, should it, but it should be providing us um, compounds that keep us healthy. Yes. And in that sense, I mean, I mean, that is really, in a way medicine, um, you know, not drug type medicine, but medicine that nourishes us physically and ultimately, I mean, you're, you're a chef, um, Mm -hmm. spiritually in terms of just that wonderful feeling of eating good food. Yes. So yes, absolutely adaptogens, premier adaptogens, I'd say. Well, it's, it's nowadays, uh, a lot of people are throwing this word around and, uh, and I just wanted to make sure that uh, mushroom is the original adaptogens. Um, speaking of food, um, you should be proud of me. Yesterday, I, I played with your products, and um, I created what might be a, good, a new dish. Who knows? Um, melted some butter. I put some of your mushroom powder, mix it in, you know, so the butter would um, uh, capture the flavor. And then I would poach uh, scallops at low temperature, not high temperature. Um, so they release some juice. And then I made a sauce with that, with the, the scallop juice and the mushroom and, and the butter. Uh, added a little um, uh, I can't remember the, the, the name for it, but anyway. And um, it came out really nice. And uh, not only it tasted good, but I knew it was also good for me. As yeah. A, yeah. Yeah. Well, no, so, I need a snack. Well, yeah. <laughs> well you, know what, you know what, Alan? I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you a special product of ours. 
Okay. And, and this product is a blend of five different mushrooms. And, and this blend was, was put together by a very close friend of mine who was a uh, vegetarian. He loved the mushrooms and, and I would be sending him kilos of different mushrooms so he could work with them. And he put together this blend. We call it Five Mushrooms Transforming. And, and it's, it's designed as a food product. It's, it's not designed as a supplement, it's designed as a food product. And I, I love this blend. And a lot of people who've, who've used it, they say the same thing. They, they really love the flavor. I put it on a lot of different things and it just mm -hmm. works so well. I think you'd, uh, you'd find it very interesting. So I'm definitely going to send you uh, a package of that, you know, probably a, uh, 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 500 grams. I think we have it in half pound and pound sizes. So I'll, I'll send you some of that to uh, work with. Right. I think you'd enjoy it. That'd be great. Yeah. I've, I've also, um, once in a while, I will sprinkle the mushroom powder on top of a salad and, 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 and with the dressing and mix, mix it up. So the mushroom powder gets into the dressing. And yeah. Uh, do you think that mushroom powder is enhanced with fat? Does it make it easier to absorb or does it matter? Uh, well, you know what? I, I'm not sure I can answer that. I, I uh, um, first of all, I, I'm not, you know, I, I cook mushrooms, but I don't think about that so much. I mean, when I cook my mushrooms, I'm usually cooking them in uh, a butter, uh, sometimes with, with an oil of some sort. But mm. I, I, when I'm, I'm cooking them alone, I just like a, a very hot pan, put the uh, oil in. I, I like to, um, you know, if, if they're cooked on, on low heat, what I find is that the liquid comes right out of them. And, yes. and I like to keep the liquid in. So I'll kind of uh, 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 brown them on each side and, and then the, and at a high enough temperature that it keeps that moisture inside them. And I will normally cook them a little longer than maybe some people would. I, I like them to be kind of firm. I like the, I like the sort of the caramelization on them mm. and that's how I will eat them if I'm just eating them alone. And, and I, I eat mushrooms all the time. I mean, I eat mushrooms two, three, four times a, a, a week easily. Right. <laughs> They're one yeah. of my, you know, it's like, and, and I can get fresh shiitake. I, I don't know if you're, um, you know, certainly to me, the shiitake mushroom is, is my absolute favorite. Uh, mm -hmm. I think it's just got a wonderful, wonderful flavor. The odor is, is fabulous. Yes. Uh, in China, it's called shanggu, which means uh, fragrant mushroom. Mm -hmm. and, and you smell it. And, and when you're on a shiitake farm, Alan, you cannot believe that odor is in the air. And it's just like perfume. Yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is just beautiful. And, uh, but that's my favorite mushroom. And, and if there's any one mushroom, I, I tell people, if there's any one mushroom that you should be using, I mean, use the shiitake mushroom. It's just, it's so flavorful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's talk about mushroom quality. Um, why do you think it's important to grow organic mushroom? Well, you know what I, I um, and my company has been certified since 1992. I, I just believe in organic food um, in general, because I think, especially today, we are consuming so many different chemicals and, 
in every way, and many of which we have no idea that we're actually consuming them. And uh, so to me, the more we can get away from consuming these chemicals, the better off we're going to be. And ultimately, I think we're going to live longer that way. So, so for all the mushrooms we grow, they're all certified organic. They're all grown in a, a sustainable way. And, and, and let me be clear here too, you know, one of the things that, that I realized as a mushroom grower back in the 90s and, and in 1989 when I started my company, I took my first trip to China. I realized that if I wanted to grow mushrooms and sell them as supplements, I could not do that in North America. And the reason is, is pretty simple is that we can grow mushrooms in North America and sell them as a uh, food, uh, fresh, but... Mm -hmm. Like most vegetables, a mushroom is 90% water. So you dry those mushrooms out and that one pound of mushrooms that maybe I was able to get $5 for, now I have to get $50 because it's dried out. And so $50 for that pound of mushrooms simply doesn't work in the supplement market. So, so no supplement in, that has been produced in North America, no mushroom supplement uh, is actually a mushroom and that's what's really interesting uh so what i uh what i did is i i realized that okay i traveled extensively in china i uh, visited farms i visited uh conferences that i went to and i visited factories and research institutes and and i realized that i'm gonna have to grow mushrooms in china which we do we grow all our mushrooms in china we process them there and and here's what i did as well i, I told you 1992 my company was certified organic in 1997 i took ocia the primary uh organic certifier in the united states i took them to china and i organized the very first mushroom organic mushroom certification course in china 1997 Today we're getting there. There are tons and tons of mushrooms in China grown organically and and not certified by, you know, dodgy Chinese certifiers or anything like that. They're certified by high quality German certifiers. And and you know, in the supplement industry right now, we have very strict regulations on pesticides. We have mm -hmm. to test every single lot for pesticides. So before our products even leave China, we test them for heavy metals. We test them for pesticides, we test them for uh, microbes. Um, and then when they arrive in the United States, we do the same thing. We test them again. I, I'm a firm believer in that. I, I, I buy organic food. I've got a, <laughs> I live in a small community out here on the West Coast. We have one supermarket here, not a big one, not at all a big one compared to what they're like today. And we have a tiny little natural food store Mm -hmm. I buy all of my produce at the natural food store, all right. of it, because they bring in organic produce. So that's very important to me. And, and you know what? I'm also very lucky. I'm on the, uh, I'm on the um, outer coast of Vancouver Island. My front yard is the Pacific Ocean. We right. have fresh seafood here in my backyard. They're getting crab commercially. Not only that, we have salmon, wild salmon going by our community here. I have access to, to the most amazing seafood in the world right here in my little community. I eat salmon uh, three or four times a week as well. I, 
love salmon. I think salmon is probably the world's perfect food. Yeah, yeah. With mushroom. <laughs> yes, so indeed. What makes the difference between, and I know um, <clears throat> it's not a trick question, but I know there's an answer behind this, is uh, what's the difference between your product quality and the uh, other mushroom products out there? Well, you know, you know what's happened, and, and I, I sort of told <clears throat> you about, uh, just sort of talked about the fact that you can't grow mushrooms in North America and sell them as supplements. What companies in the United States do is they will grow out the mycelium on grain, and, and that's what, as a mushroom grower, we'd call grain spawn. That's what we'd use as seed. But instead, they grow the, the uh, mycelium on the grain, which is a simple process, but it's done in a laboratory. It's all under sterile conditions. They grow it out on the grain. And then at the, at the end of the grow out period, which might be 30 to 60 days, they will dry it, grind it to a powder, and then they will sell that as a so-called mushroom supplement. Now, one of the things that we did is we, three years ago, I published a study where I took 95 samples, 40 of which were these myceliated grain products. I bought them off the internet. I had dried mushrooms. I had some of our mushroom extracts. We tested them all for beta-glucans. And what we found were that, were that these myceliated grain products were mostly starch from all the residual grains in them and very low in beta-glucan content. In fact, it was just the opposite of what a mushroom is supposed to be. A mushroom would have 25 to 60% beta-glucan and less than 5% of these starches, whereas these products would be just the opposite. They would have 30 to 60% starch and maybe 5% beta-glucan. And, and, you know, it's pretty obvious when you, when you see how these products are produced that they're mostly grain. But the worst part of it, Alan, was that the products have on their label, it says shiitake mushroom or maitake mushroom, and it has a picture of a mushroom. Mm -hmm. And so if you were to, to go into a store and look at those products and, and want to buy them, you'd just say, oh, yeah, it's a great mushroom product. And, and you say, oh, yeah, I've heard this person talk, and I'm going to buy his brand or something like that, not knowing that actually you weren't even getting mushroom at all, but you were actually just getting grain powder for the most part. And, and let me tell you, after being at Paleo FX, and we've done that show for three years, and, and I speak to people there that stop by our booth, and they say, oh, I'm taking this great mushroom product. And I say, Oh, that's great. And they say, I love mushrooms. I think it's a great mushroom. But I say, well, what's the brand? They tell me the brand. And then I have to tell them, you know what? You're not taking a mushroom product. What you're taking is actually myceliated grain and it's mostly grain starch. Well, I'm telling this to paleo people. And, and especially pe there are people there that are very strict paleo people. And, and to tell them that they're actually getting grains that's not anything that they really want to hear. And, right. and, and, you know, what's interesting is that what those products actually are, are you familiar with a food product called tempeh? Yes. Okay. Tempeh yeah. is, is, um, fermented, uh, fermented, fermented soybeans. Exactly. <clears throat> fermented soybeans. Well, well the process, what it actually is, is 
they cook the soybeans and then they grow mycelium on it. Okay. So when you get when you get a package of tempeh and you open it up and it's kind of whitish, that's mycelium. Okay. And that's that's a specific fungus that they've grown over the soybeans, but they sell it as a food. And if you look at the product, you can see that it's still mostly soybean with this mycelium growing. That's actually what's being produced, dried ground to a powder and sold in the marketplace and called mushroom. And it is simply not mushroom. And I, I feel really bad because 80%, I, I, and I mean this, 80% of the products on the shelf out there are this particular <laughs> tempeh-like myceliated grain. Mm -hmm. uh, I just had a crazy idea popped in my mind, but isn't it true that um, most cheese when it's aged, and especially the blue cheese kinds, um, actually contain um, mycelium or at least a form of... Um, they, they absolutely do. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a fungus that's growing on them. It's and, a fungus, and, yes. Yeah, and, and here's the difference is that, is that certain fungi, um, which we would call a, a basidiomycete primarily, will produce a actual fruiting body, will produce a mushroom. And those are called perfect fungi. They're fungi that have this mycelial body. They produce a mushroom. There's a whole huge group of fungi out there that have mycelial stage, but they do not produce a mushroom. And those are the, those are the fungi that are used in things like producing different cheeses and things like that. So, so you'll never see a mushroom growing off that blue cheese. <laughs> you'll, no. see, you'll see the, the, uh, it in there and, and all the, the colorful nature of it and things like that. But, there, it's not going to produce a mushroom because that's, it's an imperfect fungus and, and there's, the, nature's loaded with them. In fact, but is, is, isn't penicillin derived from this uh, kind yes. of blue? Uh, okay. Well, it, yes, exactly. It, it, was, it was originally what we would call a, a green mold or a blue-green mold. And, yes. and uh, it was discovered by accident by Alexander Fleming, you know, this whole story of him uh, sort of finding this exudate coming off this, this uh, mold that was a contaminant in right. his Petri plates. And right. then he followed the trail and it ultimately discovered penicillin. And, and the, the actual genus of that is called penicillin. So he named it penicillin. Um, but that, that, that is an imperfect fungus and that's where a lot of the work is done on, on finding interesting new compounds is with these imperfect fungi. Well, I'm going to tell you a little story uh, that might gross out some Americans, but <laughs> when I was a kid and I was growing up on my uh, grandparents' farm, if we'd get a cut or a, a scrape, you know, kids, you know, running around, jumping, whatever, um, my grandmother would apply some of that blue from the from the roquefort or from a blue cheese she yeah, would apply yeah, that yeah. on the on the on the on the scrape cut. on the cut wow wow as a, and then you know wrap a, a gauze around it and uh that would take care of things 
That is really interesting. I've never heard that before, but that is fascinating. Absolutely. That's what they call that's what they call folk medicine. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Right. You know, the other thing that I, I found interesting is in the 1700s in England, they used to call mushrooms poor man's meat. Yeah, yeah. They did. Big, it's, it, big yes. meaty mushrooms, right? A big yeah. meaty mushroom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, poor man's meat. Yeah. And uh, and the good the good of it is that once you're done healing, you can lick your arm and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Or maybe you'd want your your dog, your pet, to do that for yeah. you. <laughs> so uh, back you back to your business. Um, so you offer different kind of products, uh, powders. Uh, can you describe them to us and kind of give us a general idea what what they're good for? Sure, sure, sure. Well, again, the primarily used for to enhance immunity. Um, uh, cordyceps, because of the use of cordyceps for uh, um, fatigue. Now, cordyceps is used by a lot of uh, uh, companies that are putting out an athletic type product because they have demonstrated that cordyceps does have this ability to uh, help utilize oxygen a little better. And so it's used uh, as that type of supplement. Uh, there's lion's mane, which is interesting. It, lion's mane uh, research has shown it actually promotes what's called nerve growth factor, which we have and that. That nerve growth factor stimulates or helps to produce neurites, which are our um, brain cells. So, so the interesting thing about the lion's mane is, is you know, there, there's not a lot of clinical trials out there, Alan, because it's an herbal product and nobody wants to spend the, the money on a clinical trial for an herbal product when everybody can use that research themselves. So, but in Japan, they did a clinical trial with um, 70 uh, or, or uh, yeah, um, uh, 30 people, two groups, 30 people in each group. So there was a control group and these were all older people, 70 and older, something like that. They gave them a battery of tests uh, first and then for three months, one group took lion's mane. And then after they were finished, uh, they gave them the test again. And the people taking the lion's mane showed a higher uh, cognitive ability in that same battery of tests. So that, that was kind of interesting. And, and the interesting part about that, too, was that after they stopped taking the lion's mane from this test, they tested everybody again 30 days later. And they found that this group that had done so well with the lion's mane now is back to the baseline. That's right. That's right. You have to take this for the rest of your life. That's right. <laughs> and, and you know, we can all, we can all benefit, you know, let's face it, as we get older, the memory kind of gets a little bit faulty. What, what was that I was thinking of again? What was the name of that? I, I just, it's, I got it right there. I just can't yeah. remember. Well, so Lion's Mane right now has just gone crazy. Five years ago, we weren't selling hardly any lion's mane. Now everybody and his brother, we can hardly keep it in stock. It's just crazy. And yet that's part of what um, you're probably familiar with the concept of a nootropic. Hmm. And a nootropic is anything that enhances our performance. And this is a big kind of a word for all the younger generation. Then they're looking for all of these health benefits they're looking for some way to get that edge in a in a sense to perform at a higher level and so anything that does that is they consider nootropic lion's mane is now considered one of the premier nootropics for 
mental sharpness, mental ability. Now, you know, whether it, whether it does or not, I mean, there's some studies that would demonstrate this. this it was used in, in China traditionally for dementia. And, and uh, so it seems like, yeah, there, there's definitely something there. And the, and the scientific research seems to indicate that. So lion's mane is, is something that's used uh, in that way. Um, lion's mane cordyceps. Chaga now is, uh, has become very popular too. I don't know if you're familiar with chaga, but chaga is this, this gnarly, um, actually it's a canker that grows off the sides of birch trees. You, it was a, a traditional medicine in uh, Russia, Eastern Europe, traditional medicine for uh, stomach ailments. And, and also there was a folk treatment for cancer. Um, that's something that's really popular out there. One of the things about chaga is if you go out on the internet and, and Google up chaga, it'd be like king of mushrooms. <laughs> and, and it'll be like, there's nothing that this mushroom can't do. And for me, I don't really like that kind of talk. I don't like, I don't sell my products that way. I, I don't like to hype things, but chaga, if you were to actually read all this stuff, you'd be like, Oh my God, it's a miracle. It's a panacea. Panaceas, my God, you know, don't talk to me about panaceas because everybody and his brother's got some new product, wants to sell it as a panacea that will do everything. And it's just what I call marketing speak and, and trying to sell something. But, but it does have some good research behind it for things like, you know, stomach problems. And, and I, I would recommend chaga to anybody that's having you know, irrit irritable bowel syndrome or Crohn's disease or anything like that. Try chaga. It might help you there. So, so there are different benefits from a number of these different mushrooms. They all share beta-glucans, but some of them have other compounds like reishi, chaga, a few other uh, uh, woody polypore-type mushrooms have what are called triterpenoids. Which, uh, these triterpenoids also, in terms of reishi, will help your liver function, so it's very good for liver function. In China, they use it a lot for people with liver problems and liver diseases. They'll they'll use reishi for that too. So some of the mushrooms besides sharing these beta-glucans in common will also have some of these other compounds which give them certain other activities. And that's why I consider reishi to be the premier mushroom because not only does it have the beta-glucans in a high amount of them, but it also has these triterpenoids. And again, uh, for overall liver function, for your blood purification, things like that. So, so again, if someone was going to supplement with one mushroom, yeah, I, I would supplement with reishi. I take reishi every morning. I put it into my coffee. I don't know if you've ever tasted reishi or whether, uh, and I think we had some out maybe to taste it, uh, Paleo FX, but it's very bitter, yeah. very bitter. But <clears throat> I, I, drink, I drink my coffee black. I put yeah. reishi in my coffee in the morning. It just adds another sort of bitter note to the coffee. I think it tastes okay like that. But if you were to just take a, you know, a small amount of ratio meth, you go, Oh my God, that is so bitter. I was like, give me some water. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but but reishi is, is great. Uh, and I, again, I think it's the premier mushroom and, and I, I look at it as just a, a longevity herb for me. I just look at it as something that hopefully it's going to help me cope with all the stresses. Uh, reishi has also been used for, uh, people with insomnia. A lot of people have sleep problems. I don't, 
but a lot of people do, and that might be something people would try for insomnia and uh, sleep difficulties. Mm -hmm. Good, good. So last question for me, where can we find uh, all the information about your products? Well, my company is Namex, N-A-M-M-E-X. Um, please come to our website, namex.com. I have so much information there about mushrooms and mushroom products. And, and I've also got some really great slideshows there that talk about mushroom cultivation, talk about all sorts of aspects of, of mushrooms. So namex.com, for those people that are looking for a, a um, uh, retail supplement, we, have a, we sell online at uh, realmushrooms.com, R-E-A-L mushrooms.com. And that's where you can buy our products uh, individually for personal use. You know, Namex is a, is a supplier of raw materials to other companies. So a lot of companies use our raw materials. And so that's a wholesale business to business, but we have a lot of information there. So please come to the site just for the information alone. But if you're looking for a mushroom product for your own personal use, go to realmushrooms.com. If you're a practitioner, um, we do have programs for practitioners if they wish to resell the product. So that's where uh, people can go to learn more about it. Great, great, great. I have um, a, a little um, quote from uh, General de Gaulle. Do you know, you remember who he is? Oh, right? of course I do. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. He said that people like people are like mushroom. You keep them in the dark and feed them all shit and they'll be happy. <laughs> Uh, you don't know how many times I've heard that. <laughs> but you know, you know what's interesting about that? Here's what's interesting is that, that the mushroom, the champignon de Paris, the agaricus mushroom, the button mushroom, that mushroom needs no light. But yeah. mushrooms in general, the vast majority of them need light to actually grow properly. Right. So, well, so originally, originally, if I if I'm right, uh, I believe the champignon Paris was found in uh, coal mine tunnels because the it was dark, and then uh, the carts in the old days were drawn by horses, so there was horse shit everywhere, and they all of a sudden they found this mushroom growing in the dark and and you know, growing on the whole street. That's, that's well, that, 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 you know what, one of the things about like, for example, in France, where it all started was that a lot of the um, places where they grew these mushrooms were in limestone tunnels because they quarried limestone like crazy yeah. over in France. So they have all of these, these mines. And the beauty of that for mushroom growing was that the temperature in that mine is constant. Right. And the temperature was just perfect. The temperature and, and the air is fairly uh, humid as well. Yeah, so man. it was perfect for mushroom growing. And so, you know, they see these things growing in the pastures and, right. and they're gathering it wild for who knows, thousands of years. Right. And then somebody gets the bright idea. They go, hey, I can collect that uh, manure. I can make a compost from it. And then I can grow these mushrooms. And hey, we've got all these caves that we're no longer using, these old mines. And so they started growing it in the mines. And 
Yeah. In fact, if, if you ever, uh, I mean, I know you're back in Paris or back in France occasionally. In the Loire Valley, there is a great, and I don't remember exactly where, but there's a great museum there where you go in and you go right into one of these tunnels and they have a great exhibition there on how they actually grow grew these mushrooms back there because they 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 grew them with this compost right on the floor of these right. caves yeah. and uh you know again perfect temperature they didn't need light so that that worked out really well mm. and, and in fact even when i started my work at the mushroom farm and everything is grown indoors in these uh big warehouse rooms we all had minor lights on <laughs> so so okay. we would go around through the whole every room and I'd have a miner's light and I had a battery pack on my belt and I had this light I didn't have a helmet on but I had a light the, the harvesters all had helmets and the light on the helmet and that's how they actually were harvesting the mushrooms <laughs> yeah yeah all right Mark it's your turn yeah I mean we've been talking about the products I mean so let's continue on that for a minute um, sure so you say you're mainly B2B, but you do have a line of uh, more retail type of, um, what would you call them, mushroom supplements? Yep, 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 mushroom supplements. So what are they and what are they good for? Well, again, the, what, what we actually do is, is, is we'll take the mushrooms, the fresh mushrooms, we'll dry them out, and then we will uh, turn them into a powder, and then we will cook them one time in a very, very large pressure vessel. We'll cook them in hot water. And, and you know, one of the things about mushrooms that we didn't talk about is mushrooms actually have uh, a compound called chitin in their cell walls that is, is part of that cell wall with the beta-glucan. And, and that chitin makes mushrooms a little bit more indigestible than most foods. The, when we cook these mushrooms in that hot water, and we do it at 80 degrees C, that will help to pre-digest that. And so what happens then is after three hours of cooking it, we will then concentrate the fluid down into almost a syrup. It will still have the powder in it. We'll send it to a spray dryer and out of the bottom of that will be a very fine powder. That's what we call a one-to-one -one extract. That's primarily what we sell. And then if we, we also have some extracts that are more concentrated where instead of just what we have, let's say one kilo in one kilo out, which we call our one-to-one -one extracts, we will maybe put four kilos in there or, or eight kilos or 16 kilos, which ultimately become a much more concentrated product. And, and that's, you know, a lot of companies, they don't want to put, let's say a gram of something into their, their product. Maybe that's too much. So if you do a concentrate, you can put, a lot less of that powder into a product because it's much more concentrated. We do our best to, with our extracts, to have exactly the same profile as the mushroom itself. We don't like try to build this up or build that up. Uh, as a concentrate, it will have, you know, those particular compounds in a concentrated form there, but we don't try to build them up. We try to keep a natural profile. And again, primarily, I, I would say, um, Use them as something, uh, an adjunct to your, your daily regimen, your health regimen. Uh, they'll be working in the background. And uh, again, if you want to take one, reishi is a great one. Um, cordyceps is, uh, I like cordyceps too for overall 
just general activity, things like that, ratio of cordyceps, primarily, again, maybe fatigue, you're feeling low energy, things like that, give them a try. Don't expect them to work overnight. They do not work overnight. It's not like taking a, uh, not like taking a, not like taking a, uh, uh, you know, uh, ibuprofen or an aspirin or something like that. That's not how they work. You need to be taking them for two, three, four weeks before there's really going to be any, any activity from them. So, so think about it that way. Think about them as something again, that you're taking in a regular way and, and will work in the background for you. Hmm. So are there any particular um, conditions that you know that mushroom supplements will, will help for? Well, I mean, you might want to try lion's mane if you, if you feel like you're, you know, need a little help memory wise or, or, and see if that helps you at all. That's definitely something that people are taking them for. Or if you do want to boost, you know, you think, okay, performance wise, you know, um, as a, an athlete, I feel fatigued uh, or, or maybe you just feel fatigued generally, hmm. then I would take them, uh, for that. But, you know, the other thing you might hear about mushrooms that, that comes up a lot is, is used in, uh, uh, with cancer therapies. So there are a lot of people that will use them as an adjunct therapy to, let's say you're, you're in chemo or, <laughs> somebody's going to answer that, but it won't be me. Um, so, so, but, but you know what, I, I don't like to talk about cancer. Um, it, it just, you know, I mean, FDA doesn't want me to talk about cancer. We don't, you know, promote that in any way, you know, the research talks about it, but I don't like to talk about it because I can't really. And, and I don't want to even promote it as such because, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's not going to cure anybody's cancer, but it could be used in conjunction with some of these therapies. So that's, that's certainly another, a lot of people will, will take them for that reason. Turkey tail is one that a lot of people take. Reishi would be good for that as well. Oh. Um, so that, that's just another area that people could possibly use them. Yeah. Now, I mean, you mentioned earlier that mushrooms are one of the slightly more difficult things for the body to digest. And I, was, and I know a lot of, a lot, I know because of what we do, there are a number of people who have um, what they would call sensitivity towards certain mushrooms. Is that a fairly common thing? Well, you know what, um, what my experience is, is that there is a percentage of people out there that may have a sensitivity to any particular food product. Mm -hmm. And with mushrooms, it's no different. Some people will have a sensitivity. What, what, I, what I tell people, especially if they're eating mushrooms for the first time, mm. don't eat a huge plate of mushrooms. <laughs> that's, that's a trap. Yeah. You, you really need to, you know, like with any food, take a small amount when you first eat it. See whether your system likes it or not. Some people, it's just not going to agree with them. And, and, you know, it might be just an allergic reaction. One of the one of the adults that I knew as a when I was younger, one of my friend's fathers, he was a dye in the wool mushroom hunter. He loved mushrooms. He loved hunting them. He was totally allergic to morels, and 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 morels. I, I mean, uh, Alan, for, you know, morels are something that a lot of chefs use in their cooking and stuff. Yeah. I mean, morels a 
a delicious mushroom. He was allergic to morels. <laughs> he, he would find them and just give them away to people because he couldn't eat them. So, so that's something everybody needs to think about. And, and I would mm. say that's the same if you're going to you know, eat a new mushroom or if you're going to try a mushroom supplement. I mean, be, you know, be aware of that fact. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to, to a certain extent, you, you, I think, answered maybe part of the, the allergic reaction um, that some people see in as much as certain mushrooms will enhance our immune system. They'll go off and, as you say, they'll go to receptor sites and they'll produce uh, microphages and that sort of thing. Could it be that they're encouraging some sort of um, cleansing reaction? Well, um, here, here's another interesting thing about, about mushrooms is that mushrooms are very high in fiber. Mm -hmm. So if you're actually eating mushrooms, you're feeding your microbiome very high quality fiber. So, so you know, that, that's part of them being not super digestible. Mm -hmm. So they're coming down, they're mostly being digested in our uh, lower intestinal tract. Right. And that's where they're hitting the receptor sites and that's where they're feeding the microbiome. So, so in that sense, I think actually having uh, eating mushrooms in, in the sense of providing another food that's high in fiber is really good. And a lot of that fiber is actually, uh, um, in, well, yes, an insoluble beta glucan. So, so, that's where yes mushrooms are absolutely a a prebiotic and and that's that's why that's why i always tell people to to uh, add mushrooms to their diet and look you know what when i sit down sometimes and eat mushrooms if if i'm just like okay i really want to have uh, a meal of mushrooms or i usually you know if i'm eating a steak or something i always have mushrooms on it and I weighed, I weighed an agaricus uh, not long ago, a medium-sized button mushroom. I weighed that button mushroom, and it was 40 grams. Right. Well, well, I can eat 10 of those, chop them up, throw them in the pan, fry them up. I can eat 10 of those easily. That's a pound of fresh mushrooms. <laughs> that, that is just not a problem whatsoever. So, so think about that. When people are eating mushrooms, I mean – Eat, eat, don't just eat one or two. I mean, fry up five or six or seven of, of those button mushrooms or, or more with the shiitake. Super, super. Well, that's all the questions that I had. Alan, back to you. All right. So ready for my famous closing? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, let's hear yeah. it. It's, a, it's becoming a joke, so we keep it going. So, um, uh, do you have uh, anything else to add? Uh, any other additional? Do, um, do are you talking to conference? Are you going to anything special that uh, you want to talk about? Well, well, you know what? I I, uh, I like to uh, do podcasts with people. It's always enjoyable to talk. I mean, there's so many interesting people out there like yourself, Alan, and uh, it's so great. We we do. We do uh, a few trade shows every year. We do Paleo FX. We, we do, um, I, I go to American Herbalist Guild often and do a, a show. Um, the Bulletproof Conference, we did that whenever they, they had it out there too. Some people can come and see us at those conferences. Um, I haven't really done a lot of speaking. I, 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 don't, I travel quite a bit, but in terms of traveling off to do one specific talk somewhere at times, that's just more than I want to do. I, I'm kind of 
I'm up here, you know, you can, I, I'm so far away right now from anywhere. I mean, where I live in this small community is a community of 2000 people. <laughs> it's a very small right. community. I enjoy it. I live in a old growth forest here. It's beautifully green outside. It does rain too much. Mm-hmm. So, so I leave, I leave in the winter time and go elsewhere. And, and, uh, cause I, I prefer to live in some more of a summery type environment. But, but the summers up here are beautiful, so I'm always here during the summer. But, but you know, no, just, just uh, what I'd say is just uh, if people want to come to the website, please come to the website, check out the information there, and uh, read about the differences. And just be careful out there when you're looking at a mushroom supplement. If the supplement says made in the USA, it's probably this myceliated grain, and, and so you're not really going to get the benefits that you're looking for. Right. I mean, and also that, be careful. Thing. Is there anything that people should watch out for in particular brands that you would say as well? Oh, I, I can't really mention brands. Uh, that, that's why, you know, I'm try, I just try to be, educate people to the fact that, that, look, be aware of this. Some of the products will, if you turn it over to supplements facts, they might on the backside say mycelium. And if you look in the other ingredients, this is where another tell look in the other ingredients and it will say myceliated brown rice or myceliated oats. Mm-hmm. You know, right away, that's what those products are. And, and here's the thing, Alan, if you, if you were to ever have one of those products and, and open up a capsule and taste it, you'd be like, this does not taste like mushroom. This right. doesn't taste like shiitake. This doesn't taste like, it's not bitter like reishi. It tastes a little bit like flour. Well, Mm-hmm. That's because it is. And so people just need to be, you know, I really do my best to educate people about this. That's, that's really what I'm doing more than anything else is I'm just trying to educate the market to the fact that there's what we call real mushrooms. And then there are these facsimile products. And that's really important because I, I, people who are looking for mushroom products want a mushroom product. They don't want a facsimile. Right. And for the mushroom hunters out there, be very careful what you pick and what you eat. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely right. We want to see you next year. In fact, the, the mycological society we have in Vancouver, uh, after the mushroom season, they always have what they call the survivor's banquet. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody brings a mushroom dish. <laughs> And whoever survives at the end uh, gives a speech, right? <laughs> okay, well, here we go. Closing. Thank you again, Jeff, for being on the Local Paleo Show. And as we say in Texas, à votre santé, y'all. <laughs> That's good. That's very good. <laughs>